right, what's up, City Lines Church? Hey, listen, before we jump in, we join me welcoming those that are watching on Facebook right now and online. What's up, everybody? If you're watching on Facebook, tell us where you're watching. It's always fun seeing where folks are watching from all over the country, sometimes all over the world. Uh, if you're new, my name is Nithin. My name is spelled right here so you can see it. And I have the honor of serving as the lead pastor here at City Alliance Church. And by the way, can we just hear it for Josh Mazog and Adam Gunderson who made that opening video for us? It's incredible. Great job, guys. I tell you, we have some incredibly creative people in our church, and so it's amazing being able to see them uh, you know, use their gifts and their talent. And hey, listen, I've been getting this question a lot. I think many of you uh, want an update kind of what's happening with our move. So many of you know that, you know, uh, we're kind of new to the area, and so we're in the process of moving from the Garden State to the Keystone State. And so I want to give you a heads up on where we're at. We're actually going to be wrapping up and closing our house in New Jersey on July 14th, which is awesome. And we have found a house, we gave an offer, and it was accepted, and we'll be moving officially and um, permanently August 6th. So we're really excited about that. Yeah, let's give God a praise for that. That's exciting. And, you know, there's still a lot of logistics, a lot of details, so please be praying for us as we're trying to figure out where does our stuff go in this limbo between July 14th and August 6th. We may, you, you may get phone calls from our family to sleep on your couch, so just be aware that that, I'm not joking, so going to happen. <laughs> well, listen, guys, we are kicking off a brand new series today called Rebuild. And uh, really, you know, this is kind of a homage to, uh, if any of you guys know, there's an entire genre of television shows on home improvement. Any home improvement TV show fans, HGTV, oh, wow, quite a few of you, DIY channel, okay. And if you live in Williamsport, because, you know, we have been looking at tons of houses, like DIY is like the thing to be able to do. Because like these houses, some of you are like, oh, you have no idea. <laughs> I will soon enough. But you know, some of these houses, they've been here for about over a hundred years and they're beautiful. And you know, it's good to have a DIY kind of handyman kind of way of, you know, working a house so that you can kind of take it from where it is, from shabby to chic, right? But if you don't really have that skill set like myself, um, you're gonna get a lot of more phone calls from me as well. <laughs> But listen, uh, you know, you've probably seen, if you're a big fan of these shows, like, I love how they're able to take places that look terrible and actually make them beautiful again. One example is a show called Home Again with the Fords. How many of you guys have seen this show? Any home okay, a few of you have. Well, it's kind of fun. So this is a brother and sister duo. It's Leanne and Steve. Steve is like the demo guy. So he brings the hammer in. He starts breaking walls and stuff. Leanne is like the designer. She kind of makes things beautiful in those spaces. And what's kind of fun is they actually do it in the Pittsburgh area. So they're all about helping people move back to Western PA and kind of giving them the home of their dreams. So it's kind of fun. And like all these shows, there's always like a before and an after. You guys know what I'm saying? Like before, look how terrible your house is, but now look how amazing it is. And at the end, there's this reveal, right? Where it goes again from shabby to chic. So here's a clip from the show Home Again with the Fords of one of those reveals. Check this out. Come on in, guys. <laughs> before when you walked in, there's three or four closets right here, a big mirror. Took all that out, we exposed your staircase, and we put that beautiful railing on. Let's go to your living room. <gasps> oh my god! So when we took out the wall, we knew we wanted to access the beauty of the fireplace. This is gorgeous! Modernized it, but also kept it really timeless. This is awesome! Like oh my god, now. I love this! <laughs> this is insane. Would you like to see your new kitchen? God, I'm so happy, you guys. Look at how cool this is. 
And then we have the sunroom. This room was yellow. It felt very dated. Yeah. Now it feels very light and very bright. Thank you. And guys. Um, enjoy your new home. Yeah. Enjoy. Thank you. See you so much. So who wants to hire the Fords to come over to your house and do some work, right? I mean, it's incredible. It takes it from one place and brings it to another. And so if you watched any of these shows, whether it's uh, Home Again with the Fords or Property Brothers, or probably I think the most famous one is Fixer Upper. Any Chip and Joanna Gaines fans in the room? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, very much so in the back. Okay. But, you know, they're very good at kind of taking these things and just making them beautiful in ways that we would probably have a hard time envisioning. In fact, one of the things I loved, you know, I kind of know more about, you know, Chip and Joanna more than anyone else, is their entire story of, you know, Fixer Upper and Magnolia. And when you look at actually their life story, what you find is their life isn't always, you know, as, you know, it doesn't always end like a Fixer Upper. It's a lot more raw. It's a lot more gritty. And in fact, you know, when you hear their story, there's fixer-uppers that have actually failed. But, you know, one of the things I appreciate about them is just how honest they are about how some of the tensions that they were experiencing in their lives. Everything from Joanna giving up her dream job so that she could spend some time taking care of her kids. It's real-life stuff. And I think one of these things, when I look at these shows, it reminds me that actually I think real life at times needs a rebuild. Sometimes there's things in our lives that are like fixer-uppers. And so guys, over the next couple weeks, we are going to be looking at one of the biggest renovation projects in Scripture. And this was undertaken by a man named Nehemiah. Can you guys say Nehemiah? Nehemiah. He undertook probably one of the most massive building projects that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks. But really this morning, I want to look at one question that I want you to answer, and it's this. What's broken in your world? I want you to think about this right now. Whatever answer comes to mind, I want you to hold on to it because we're going to do something with it at the end of the service. But what's broken in your world? Because we all, in different aspects of our lives, we need a rebuild, don't we? Maybe it's in your relationships. Maybe, you know, during the pandemic, you found all these cracks in your relationship with your spouse, and you're like, okay, we need to rebuild our marriage. Or maybe it's in the area of your finances, like, you know, you've had some financial struggles, and now you need to rebuild the walls of your finances, rebuild your, your checking account, your savings account, some new healthy financial habits. Or maybe you need to rebuild even your health. You kind of let your diet go, and, and your health's not in a great spot, so you need to rebuild the walls to build up your life in that sense. Or maybe it's a relationship with your kids, your parents, something's fallen apart and needs a renovation in your life. Let me give you a quick example of a friend of mine I know. He's a, a chiropractor, very successful. And then he got involved in kind of like a side hustle of kind of like a weight loss thing. And he's like, Nathan, this is the future. Like, you know, there's always people who are going to lose weight, so I'm going to go all in on this. So he sold his business and went all in. A couple months later, it flopped. And now he's in his mid-50s. He's got to rebuild his career. He's got to rebuild and figure out what does he need to do next. That's kind of where he's at in his life, in times right now. So in our world, it's important to remember that not everything always goes the way we plan. And when it doesn't go the way we plan, how do we rebuild a family? How do we rebuild your health, a career, or even your faith? So again, what's broken in your world? Hold on to it, put it in your pocket, we're going to come back to it at the end. So how do we start rebuilding? And this is where we actually need to look to Nehemiah. Actually, God doesn't leave us guessing in how we rebuild our broken worlds. In fact, God gives us a blueprint through the scriptures. And so we're going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah. You know, when I was looking at kind of thinking, how do I, you know, what do we name this series? How do we kind of break this down? I was actually thinking about calling it Change Your World in 52 Days. 
Because that's literally what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah undertook one of these huge renovations we're going to talk about in a moment, and he did it in only 52 days. And maybe you're thinking, Nathan, you don't, you don't understand what's going on in my life. Like, there's things I can't rebuild. It's going to take way longer than 52 days. And here's the thing, I would absolutely agree with you. But here's what Scripture teaches. With man, impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so, guys, if you have a Bible, I want you to open up to Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to look at God's blueprints for our life today. Uh, Nehemiah, it's located in the Old Testament. It's actually between the books of Ezra and Esther. So it's Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, right before the Psalms, if you're trying to find it. Or you can just go on your phone and find it there. And like I said, we're going to marinate in the first six chapters in the next five weeks of Nehemiah. So go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. Because one of the things we're going to learn is that Nehemiah had the courage to rebuild... But he also had the humility to ask God for help in the midst of this. You see, it's one thing to rebuild a home in Williamsport, but it's another thing to renovate an entire life, right? So what does it look like to do that? So let's go to this passage that Marianne so graciously read for us this morning. It says this, starting at verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. Which, by the way, Hakaliah is the brother of Hakalugi. Just so you know, it's in the Hebrew. In the month of Kislev, which by the way, Kislev is around the fall, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. And Susa, just so you know, it's the capital of Persia. It says this. Um, it says, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. So let's back up here. I want to give you a little bit of background so you know a little bit what's going on in, in the background of this passage. But I want to hang it on two words, and the words are ruin and return. Ruin and return. So you need to know that 140 years before Nehemiah was writing, there was a man named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, and the king of Babylon came, and he actually went and he destroyed the city of Jerusalem. That was the capital city of where God's people lived. He destroyed Jerusalem, he knocked down the walls, he, he basically pillaged all the houses and homes. And then after he did that, he actually went and did this major deportation. He kind of took all of God's people, he enslaved them, put them in chains, sent them to Babylon. Now why did he do that? Here's why. You see, God had made a covenant with his people. God had rescued them out of slavery, he had rescued them out of Egypt, and when he finally brought them to the promised land, he goes, guys, listen, we need to be in covenant. I will take care of you, I will love you, I, I will always be with you, but you have to obey my commandments. Walk in the ways that I have laid out for you. And God's people turned their backs on God. They walked in their own ways, they, they were following other gods, they were worshiping idols, which led to all sorts of chaos in their midst, and God said, I'm going to let you kind of experience the consequences of your sin, the consequences of your rebellion, which led to Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon conquering God's people. So they were led away in chains there. But over time, about 50 years later, there was a new king that came to town, and his name was Cyrus, known as Cyrus the Great, the king of Persia. He conquered Babylon, and he had a very different policy than King Nebuchadnezzar. His policy was one of return. So he let the remnant of God's people that wanted to go back, because a lot of them had kind of gotten really comfortable in Babylon, but he allowed the rest of them who wanted to go back to go back, and what they found was devastation. What they found was ruin. Let's go ahead and keep reading. It says this again in verse 2. It says, I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great, let's all say this together, trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is what? Broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Translation, 
Nehemiah, it's a train wreck. Like, everything is broken down. It is a mess. It is not worth a rebuild. Everything is crushed to rubble and sand. It is just complete devastation. It's a disgrace. Now, you guys have to understand that the walls of Jerusalem, the temple of God, had not been up for 140 years. In the midst of that time, uh, not only are the people there vulnerable to attack, but it's also a national disgrace. The enemies of God's people, uh, the enemies of Israel saying, your God is so great, your God is so mighty, but look at your walls, look at your temple. Your temple's pathetic, the, the whole outskirts are pathetic. You know what, your God is pathetic. And so when Nehemiah hears the words of how the city is, the devastation of the walls, and not only that, he hears where the people are at, it says simply this in verse 4. It says this, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. What do you do when someone you love has shared with you that their life is imploding? When you discover a parent's been living a double life or a son or a daughter is addicted to drugs and you're not sure what to do next or vaping, or you hear that close friends of yours, their marriage is falling apart and it kind of blindsides you, what do you do when that happens? Well, according to Nehemiah, you actually let the grief in. You let yourself feel the pain. You actually let it break your heart. And if you're taking notes this morning, I want to give you three foundational steps that we need to take to rebuild our world. Now, you know, the first thing many of us want to do is we want to start taking a hammer and start, you know, taking down walls and start fixing things. But let's look at Nehemiah's example to us. The first thing we need to do is actually to sit down to cry. Sit down to cry. Look what it says that Nehemiah did in verse 4. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. You know, in many ways, he did the very same thing that Jesus did. You know, when Jesus came to Jerusalem and he saw how lost the people of God were and how they were being oppressed and led astray, what did Jesus do? It says that Jesus wept. He wept for the city of Jerusalem because no one was there to protect them. Now, when we talk about weeping here, we're not just talking about any kind of normal crying. This isn't, more, this isn't like a, oh, damn, that's sad. This is like a full-on ugly cry. You guys know what I'm saying here? Like literally the words wept and mourn, in the Hebrew it means streams of water. So ladies, you know what I'm talking about here. This is like the mascara is dripping down, your makeup's a mess, you can't even talk, you can't even stand, like literal complete devastation. This is the ugly cry that Nehemiah is experiencing in this moment. It says he sat down and he sobbed and he sobbed and he sobbed because his heart was so broken about what was happening. So again, let me ask you that question. What's broken in your world that needs fixing? What's broken in your world that actually breaks your heart when you see it, when you feel it? You know, I've been a pastor for about 13 years. And, you know, I've had the, the privilege and the pain of being kind of in the front row of some of the most painful experiences that people have had. I remember I had a dad come to me once and said, you know, Nathan, I don't know what to do. My son, he's addicted to drugs. Um, and I just don't know what to do. We, we, we brought them to church. We brought them to youth group. We raised them right. But then he got caught up in this, and I, I just feel so much shame. I, I, I can't even talk about it without weeping. It's literally broken me. I remember I was talking to 
someone a couple weeks ago, and they're saying, you know, Nathan, we've been married, my wife and I, for 12 years, but it feels like we're roommates. You know, it feels like we just kind of work through logistics. There's no intimacy. There's no closeness. And it feels painful. And my kids are starting to feel it. And I don't know what to do next. See, Nehemiah shows us the first step. It's this. If you want to change the world around you, you have to face reality. You have to sit down and cry. Don't push the pain away. Don't pretend that it's not touching you. Actually let it in. Let it break your heart. Let it bring you to tears. Now listen, Nehemiah is a strong man. He's not wimpy. In fact, he's got an entire book of the Bible written about him. We're going to see how he kind of shows his strength. But before he walks and takes action, he lets his heart be broken about what's going on. And here's the truth that I want us to capture. is Sometimes the very things that break your heart is the launching pad that God wants to use in your life today. Because there's something that happens when we, have, when we, let, our emo- when we let ourselves feel our emotions. Emotion moves us to action. A lot of times, when sometimes simply logic doesn't do it. You know, I remember, you know, this kind of happened with me recently and on a more personal level. You know, during the pandemic, you know, you know, uh, you know at the height of it, you know, I, I was all of a sudden working from home. My wife's a teacher, so she's working from home. So my kids are now doing online learning. And now all of a sudden, I'm my son's, like, kindergarten teacher. And so uh, you talk about stress levels. They were, like, through the roof, Right. And so, you know, at the time, I was going to the gym every day. Well, I stopped going to the gym because the gym had shut down. And then I had picked up a new habit, which was not a healthy habit, which was eating a bag of peanut butter M&Ms a day. Tasted really good, but it's still with me to this day a year and a half later. And so, you know... you know, you know, things are stressful, and over the past couple of months, you know, you know, we're moving and we're, you know, starting a new job and all this other stuff. And then, you know, I thought, you know, I should see how I'm doing right now. So, I dug through, you know, some of our stuff because it's in boxes, and I pulled out my frenemy. You guys know what I mean by the frenemy? My scale. So I'm looking at my scale, and I'm like, going, all right, okay, not, not too bad, not too bad, not too bad. A little bit more pressure. Okay, not good. Not, not, bad, not bad at all. Not bad. Okay. Get both feet on there. And I looked down at a number I had never seen before in my entire life. And I was like, this, this cannot be. Like, I, in that moment, I got so angry. I'm like, I can't believe I let this happen to my health. And all of a sudden, I just got angry. And that anger almost created this, uh, this emotional clarity that I finally understood, here's what I need to do next. I got to change. I can't keep doing what I'm doing now if I want to be able to live long enough to take care of my kids and be a good pastor and have the energy I need to do what God's called me to do. See, that's what emotion will sometimes do. It gives us that emotional clarity. It gives us the tipping point to push further and, and do what we need to do in those moments. Because something needed to change in my own life. And maybe you've experienced it in your own way in different ways. I know for, I've talked to some friends of mine who've experienced this same kind of moment of clarity when it came to alcohol. I was talking to a friend of mine, and he said, you know, Nathan, at my first DUI, I was like, it's no big deal. It was an inconvenience. You know, I, I got a little in trouble for it, but whatever. You just kind of went through with it. But the second DUI was a wake-up call. That was when I realized I could lose my license. I was inconveniencing all of my family around me. It was impacting my work schedule. And I realized that I can't keep living this way. Alcohol was becoming a problem. And you see, what my friend did was he actually said, you know, I'm sick of living this way. He let the emotion touch him. And he said, I can't keep doing this. And then his next step was going to a church basement, sitting in a circle and saying, my name is Steve, and I'm an alcoholic. 
See, that's the first step towards changing your world, changing the rest of your life even. It's, it's facing reality. So I want to encourage you today. If you walked in today, and maybe you're at this point of just absolute brokenness. There's been an implosion. There's been a rupture. Something's broken in your life. I want to encourage you that God could use that brokenness as a launching pad to true and lasting change in your life. So here's the translation. I, I want you guys to know that there's hope. In fact, the name Nehemiah means this. It means the Lord comforts. Some of you are here today, and you need to, need to remember that the Lord is here to bring you comfort. So i got to ask that question, what's broken in your world that needs fixing? And maybe some of you are like, Nathan, like, my world's actually looking pretty good. Like, you know, my career's great, my family's great, you know, things are awesome. There's nothing broken in my world. And if that's you today, I just want to say praise God. That's awesome. I hope it stays that way as long as possible. But is there something in the global world that's broken that God's calling you to step into? When you watch the news and you look at our broken world and you see the injustice, you see the hunger, you see the poverty, does, it, does that also break your heart? In fact, I asked this question on social media this past week. I asked, you know, what in our world is broken that breaks your heart? And, you know, we got a bunch of different answers. I kind of want to do a quick survey here. Some of you were saying things like broken families and divorce, human trafficking, poverty, racial injustice, the polarization in our country, homelessness, especially families that are homeless right now, incarceration, and how it impacts families. And I want to encourage you today, maybe there's nothing personal that's broken in your world today. But what is it out there in our world that's broken that God has put on your heart? I mean, look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah is thousands of miles away from Jerusalem. He could have had his brother Hananiah come and say, yeah, man, Jerusalem's a mess. And he could have just been like, oh, dude, that sucks. You know what? Um, I'm going to pray for them. And here, I'm going to write a check. Man, I really hope somebody steps up and does something. That's not what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah hears the news, and he gets angry. And he says, this cannot be. This is God's house. We've got to rebuild the walls. And if no one else is going to do it, I'm going to do it. Nehemiah stepped up because he saw the brokenness, and it entered into him. And that burden led him to action. And it makes me think of another story of a guy named Gary Hagen. Gary Hagen is the founder of International Justice Mission. Gary's got a remarkable story. He used to work for the uh, United Nations, and he actually, in 1994, was sent to the aftermath of Rwanda. Uh, maybe none of you, may, you may not remember this, but back in 1994, Rwanda experienced one of the worst genocides in human history. So there was a group of radical Hutu extremists that basically went and killed about 800,000 Tutsis, which is another ethnic group there, in what was called 100 Days of Slaughter. And so what Gary did and his team is they went and they documented all the atrocities that took place in Rwanda, and they actually started to prosecute and hold accountable the perpetrators. And when Gary finished his work in Rwanda, his heart was broken for the injustice and the violence that he saw there. He said, you know, I know that some organizations are helping with food and community development and things like that, but none of those things are, are going to have an impact unless we actually give people justice. So he starts International Justice Mission. And International Justice Mission, what they do is they work with lawyers, local law enforcement, and government officials in different countries to actually strengthen them. And so, in fact, what International Justice Mission has been doing over the past few years is actually fighting human trafficking. They've actually gone to India, and they've rescued little girls from brothels. And they hold the brothel owners in, in accountability for what they've done. They prosecute them. 
Because for Gary, he says, how can we tell people that Jesus loves them if we leave them in situations of injustice? And so the IJM works all over the world to fight injustice, but it started with a burden that Gary had in his heart. So I want to encourage you, if God has given you a burden, don't ignore it. If you have a burden for racial injustice, if you have a burden for poverty, if you have a burden for people who are far from God, I want to encourage you, God chose the burden for you, you did not choose the burden. And what God is calling you to do is step into it. Because here's the truth, your biggest burden is often the doorway to your biggest blessing. Don't ignore the burden that God's placed on your heart. Who does God use to change the world? God uses leaders, men and women, who sit down to cry. Who let the pain in. Who let the grief in. But the second step we discover for willow changers is that they also kneel down to pray. Nehemiah finishes weeping, but then it says he prays and he seeks the God of heaven. It says this, For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. So here's the thing. Nehemiah was a deep man of deep emotion, but also a man of prayer. He had a tender heart, but tough knees. So when Nehemiah heard what was happening, he got down on his knees and he cried out to the God of heaven, God, would you listen to my prayers? Would you see the plight of your people, God? Would you move? Because I can't do it on my own. And maybe you're here today and you see the problems of the world around you and you think, what can I do? What can our family do? You can pray. You can pray. Because here's the thing, Nehemiah knew this. He can't go forward unless he brings God into the mess. See, you can't go forward, you can't rebuild your world until you invite God into the mess of your world, the mess that you're living in today. And then Nehemiah got up in God's strength. Look what else he praises. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands and decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. This is an interesting prayer of confession. Because you see, Nehemiah is 140 years removed from the events that took place that led to God's people experiencing judgment in the Babylon. This is what's called identificational repentance. Nehemiah is saying, I, I, I want to pray for the sins that happened in the past because it led to the ruptures that we're experiencing today. The evil that was done then has actually had an impact today. And so God, I want to confess my own brokenness in this. I, I'm in under the power of sin. I'm under the power of evil. And so God, as he's confessing his sin, as he's, as he's owning his part in it with God's people, what does God do next? He says, God, I, I want to go and make it right. I want to go and make what was broken. See, I think a lot of times the prayer part is the most neglected step, right? When we see something wrong, we want to jump into action. We're like, all right, where's my hammer? You know, where, where, where's my saw? Let's put some shiplap on it. Okay, that'll make everything better. But what God actually wants us to do is actually let the pain in and then get on our knees and pray and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I'm not smart enough or strong enough or influential enough, but you are the God of heaven. You are the God that uses broken hearts to change the world around us. See, through Nehemiah's powerful leadership and his powerful prayers, 
he does the unthinkable. He is able to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, something that should have taken years or decades. He does it in 52 days. 52 days, he rebuilds the walls. That's less than two months. And he's an ordinary, humble leader that God used to rebuild the nation of Israel. So never forget that when you pray, here's how the math works. God plus you equals a majority. God plus you equals a majority when you're praying according to his will. So i got to ask one more time. What's broken in your world that needs fixing? Are you thinking about it? What's broken in your world that needs fixing? You know, oftentimes, you know, people ask me, you know, Pastor Nathan, like, you know, what can we do to pray for you? Like, how, how can we pray for you in, in the midst of this? And, and so I thought I would actually tell you <laughs> how you can pray for me. You know, uh, in this past year, it's probably been devastating for so many churches in our country. You know, we had the pandemic, we had, you know, political polarization, we had a racial reckoning. There's so much division, so much brokenness, and so much pain in our world today. And now we're finally coming out of the pandemic. It's like in the rearview mirror. And so some, as I was kind of praying, as, you know, even before I was coming here, I was like, Lord, what is it that you're leading us into at City Alliance? And God gave me this word, and the word was rebuild. That we're going to enter a season of rebuilding. Now, whenever I hear that, I'm always like, okay, God, is this you? Is this the bad sushi I had? Um, you know, I, I kind of go through this discernment process where I'm like, all right, God, is this you or is it me? And so as I'm praying about this, literally the very same day, I get a text from Jerry Pena, who's one of our deacons, who runs our prayer ministry every Sunday at 9 a.m. You should come hang out with us. And he sent me this text. It says this, hey, Nathan, it's G from City Alliance, praying for y'all tonight. As I was reading and praying and rebuilding came to me, praying that you would allow the Lord to rebuild and restore the things that have been taken and broken in your lives. And I was just like, what? I think I even told you that, right? I was like, are, are we sharing a brain? What's going on here? But here's what was awesome. Because like, you know, he, you know, I was like, you know, I do think that we're in a season of rebuilding. As our family, we're literally moving from New Jersey to Williamsport. We've got to rebuild. But I also think this is a word for our church. I think we're in a season that we're entering into where God is rebuilding and retooling us for something in the future. God is rebuilding and retooling us. God wants to rebuild our serving culture. God wants to rebuild our passion and our heart for the mission. God wants to rebuild and retool us for something that I can't even see yet, guys, because I really believe that for City Lines Church, the best is yet to come. Amen? Amen. It's coming. God is in the work of it, and I think it always ends with changed lives. That's what I believe that God is doing in us and through us. You know, it makes me think of a story of um, someone in my last church. Uh, she had come to church. It was her first time ever being in church. Someone invited her. She was, um, you know, she was kind of going through a bad breakup. Someone invited her to church. And for the first time, she heard the gospel. And she said, I, I, I don't know what it means, but I think I want to start following Jesus. And so she began that step. And she had kind of a crazy work schedule, so she could only join us online. Um, and so, you know, I remember kind of reaching out to her and saying, hey, listen, like, I really feel like, you know, you should, you know, you should serve. You should use some of your gifts. Have you ever thought about leading a small group? And she goes, well, I, I don't know if I've ever, I've never done that before. I, I don't know what it would be like. So we talked it through. We prayed about it. And we did some training, and she ended up leading a small group. I followed up with her about two or three weeks later and asked her, how's it going? And she said, Nathan, I, I did not think it was going to be this way. 
Now, usually when people say that, I'm like, is that bad or good? I, what am I going to expect here? But then she started crying. I said, what's going on? Well, you know, I feel like I'm a baby Christian, and I'm just starting to use some of my gifts. And I never knew how good it was to use my gifts to serve God. Like, I've used my gifts in my corporate career, and I've used it, you know, for different things, but to actually use the things that God has given me to actually bless other people, like, this is life-changing. Guys, that's my heart for you. That's my heart for our church, that we would be a place that seeks the least, the last, and the lost. And so if you want to know how you can pray for me and our leaders, would you pray that God gives us wisdom as we look at what does it mean for us to rebuild in the future? So I would ask, would you guys pray with me for the next 52 days for this? As long as this series, this series is around 52 days. And this is where I want to ask you to pray for us as we're looking at what does it look like to rebuild and retool for the next phase of what our church is calling us into. So let's go back to that question. What's broken in your world that needs fixing? Remember I told you to kind of keep that in mind? Here's what I'd like you to do now. Go ahead and take out your cell phones. Some of you are like, are we allowed to take our phones out in church? Today you are. And if you're watching on Facebook, you can do the same thing. Here's what I want to invite you to do. Go ahead and text the words, pray CAC to 97000, and this question is going to come up. What's broken in your world that needs fixing? And I want you to answer that question. Because in the next 52 days, as you're praying for us, as we're looking for wisdom, and how do we rebuild and move forward, I want to pray with you for what you're looking for for God to fix in your world today. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's in your finances. Uh, maybe it's a relationship that needs rebuilding. Or maybe it's in your spiritual life. You're like, Nathan, the, my spiritual walls have broken down and I need to rebuild them. Whatever it is, go ahead and text it to us. I want to encourage you to be specific. It's all anonymous. We won't know who's sending what. Or maybe it's a global burden. It's a burden for the homeless. It's the burden for unwed mothers. Go ahead and just type in your request right now so that we can pray with you in this season. But I want to encourage you guys, don't carry this alone. Don't carry your burden by yourself. See, Nehemiah is a book of hope. It's a book that starts out in grief, but it ends in God being glorified. So I want to encourage you, as you're texting along with us right now, this could be a season where God leads you to a new beginning. And next Sunday, we're going to see how Christians can do it. And we're going to look at number three, which is stand up to act. See, Nehemiah was a man that prayed. He was on his knees, but he was also a man of dramatic action. And we're going to look at what he did next week. So if you want to find out, you've got to come back. But let's lay the foundation together. Number one, if we want to be world changers, rebuild the world's things that are broken in our lives, we have to sit down to cry. And next, kneel down to pray. And if you're part of a city group this week, I want to encourage you, maybe share that burden with your city group this week. And then you guys could kneel down and pray together. Guys, I want you, as you encourage, I want to encourage you that God could take your mess and he could turn it into a message. But it begins when we acknowledge our reality. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just want to invite you to come right now. Father, as we... Um, look in the next couple weeks to rebuild, I just pray that you would give us the courage to face the realities that are before us. God, life is messy. 
life doesn't have clean angles on it. And so, Father, we come to you and we invite you into our mess right now. Right now, I want to encourage you as, as we're praying, go ahead and tell the Lord what the mess is that you're inviting him into right now. I just get the sense he wants you to personally invite him into that mess, just like Nehemiah did. Father, as we invite you into the situations and the circumstances, God, we just acknowledge that we don't have, we, we need you. We don't have what we need for this situation, but God, you've given us everything you, we need through the Holy Spirit. So God, give us wisdom, give us vision as we pursue you and seek your face. Would you rebuild what was broken? Would you restore and renovate the things in our lives that aren't where we want them to be? that aren't where you want them to be so that we can lean in and fulfill the destiny you've called us into. In Jesus' name, amen.